guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. Hello, campers. Uh, this is the Bitch Seat Podcast. I'm Lissa Mandel, and I'm flying solo today because uh, my dear co-host and boyfriend, Philip, is... Uh, had a food poisoning experience last night, so he's uh, resting up and dealing with that. But um, we'll see. I think I can manage it. It's uh, when you're listening to this, it will be Christmas Day, uh, December 25th, and um, uh, I'm Jewish, as you guys know. And um, Christmas has a different kind of meaning in my household because my parents got married on Christmas Day. Uh, they they grew up in Queens, and all of their friends and family were Jewish, pretty much. And uh, that was a date that the synagogue was available, and uh, so they did that. Uh, so when I go home for Christmas and hang out with my family, we do the whole traditional Chinese food in a movie thing, but uh, it's in celebration of uh, Stu and Leslie, Stu and Leslie Mandel. So um, on the podcast today, uh, we are going to have an auteur that I have a very, really interesting origin story with. His name is Jeremy Redleaf, and uh, we'll bring him in in a bit, but I will begin today's episode with a reading from this diary named Sophie. It's got some butterflies on the front of it, and this is from, I think, freshman year of high school. So February 17th, 1998. Sophie, this morning, despite the sunshine and heat and beauty of this island of Barbados, I was lonely and depressed. Surprise, surprise. It was not until I was out on the patio and eating breakfast that I realized why. Post-one-act sadness. A little over a week ago, we held our two performances, and then it was over. Immediately afterward, as in two days, rehearsals for the musical began. And I'm not sure I can deal with that musical. The cast is so enormous that we will never be able to bond the way my Silhouettes cast bonded. For reference, Silhouettes was the name of the student-written one-act, which at Guilford High School was a thing every year, um, but I'll, more about that here. There were only 10 of us in the cast, Aaron, Katrina, Jeff, Jim, Phil, Katie, Chris, Melissa, Grant, and me, plus Colin and Dana. The uh, Colin was the director and writer. So 12 altogether. For some reason, the group of us just got along and focused together so well. However, I have only had one week of musical rehearsals and already I hate them. Besides the fact that the music is hokier and cornier than anything, there are only three of us in it that were also in my one act. Colin, he has a major part, of course, he's a senior, Jeff, and me. We never do warm-ups or theater games at rehearsal, never bond at all. It's so impersonal. By the way, as you can imagine, later on, you know, like within weeks, I fell completely in love with everybody in that cast and was obsessed with them and the whole experience, but really on brand for me. On the night of our second and final performance for One Acts, we all sat around in a circle to say a few words about what we thought of the show and working together, the works. Basically, we each poured our hearts out. Everyone received applause after they spoke. 
I had to restrain myself from letting a few tears escape. I think everyone did. I looked around the circle. I looked at the faces of this handful of familiar people, and I missed them already. I loved them all. Perhaps I only felt this attached to them because this was my first acting experience ever, but I don't know. When Chris was speaking, he mentioned, despite the fact that he had been in seven or eight shows before this, he had never felt so close to his fellow cast members. Ever. This thought warmed me and chilled me at the same time. I felt so honored to be among this extraordinary group, yet how could I possibly just let them go? Jim and his dance moves and little musical numbers on the side of the stage, Jeff and his completely bizarre sense of fashion, Grant with his fabulous taste in music, and Chris. Well, I can assure you that what I felt for Chris was something a great deal bigger than a crush. It was infatuation. I just adored everything about him, and perhaps I still do. How on earth could I let him know he was special without going overboard? I had no idea. At first, I was so desperate, I considered just grabbing him and kissing him right backstage. It was the most extreme and drastic thing I could do, short of... (laughs) Short of raping him. I'm sorry, I haven't read this since I... (laughs) Wrote it. And I chuckled at my daydream. But seriously, what could I do? Our cast party was to be a sleepover at Grant's house. As it turned out, only 10 of the 12 of us went to his house after the performance, not to mention all the crew people who came and crashed. But the sad part is only four of the 12 of us slept over, Colin, Jeff, Grant, and myself. No, Chris. Basically, he, along with all the others, left before 1 a.m. The four of us settled in to watch Star Wars, and I was unbelievably sad. Oh, this is very timely, by the way. Um, Shout out to Rogue One, which I saw yesterday. We can talk about it later. No spoilers. And I was unbelievably sad and not satisfied because I had never said a formal goodbye to Chris. A short while later, there was a knock on the door. Chris was back. I don't even remember the reason. It was something with his car. But there he was. He was there a few minutes, and I had to kill myself to keep from staring at him. When finally he announced he was leaving, everyone mumbled a goodbye, and Chris turned and started heading for the door. This was my last chance. Chris, wait, I said. I got up and went over to him. I never really said goodbye to you. He hugged me, and I hugged him right back. It was the most wonderful feeling. I'm sure that by now Chris was suspicious of something. The night before, I had gone up to him specifically to tell him what an amazing job he had done. I know he had been genuinely pleased by that. Now I was demonstrating my admiration yet again. I wondered what he thought of me. We'll say hi in high school, right? I tried to level my tone of voice so it didn't sound like begging. Of course, he answered, in a voice so reassuring I was positive he was trying to ease my pain. His eyes were glued to mine. It was like, although he had nothing else to say, he did not want to leave. I think that something about me fascinated my entire cast. They could hardly believe I was a freshman with my level of maturity. Good God, I just gagged myself. They had recognized I was something different from the beginning. I think I was quite an interesting specimen to them. They didn't want to treat me like a baby. On the contrary, they looked upon me with an admiration they never found in other freshmen. That was one major reason I hated to leave them. I felt like such a whole person with them. Like I finally belonged somewhere. Like my search was over. I could be myself with these people. I loved every minute I spent with them. So Chris's eyes lingered on mine for the longest moments I had experienced. Unblinking and warm and alive. When finally he left, I felt I had accomplished something. This morning I awoke knowing I had dreamed of silhouettes and it unsettled my thoughts and my soul. It will take a long time for my wound to heal, especially since so many members of my cast are seniors and this is their last semester here. All I can do is hope that they will never, ever forget this show. I am sure I never will. 
It will always be to me my first. I've always felt incomplete on vacations. I know I should be enjoying this weather and tropical paradise of it, but there's still a part of me that longs for familiar faces. There always will be that part of me. I know I should attempt to enjoy it while it lasts. But why am I never happy? Then there are a couple of spaces. And I come back. Wait a minute. I just went back and reread all I've written here today. It sickened me. These words sound so foolish and childish. The words of just some ordinary teenager. I realized how much I had written about Chris and felt like killing myself. My pain is by no means... I mean, no. My point is by no means to always write about guys, because there are better things to write about. My point is the fact that one acts meant such a great deal to me, and such an experience can never be matched. I miss them all like hell, and praying with everything I know that they recognize how sincere every one of my words were to them in that circle on the last night. When I speak of serious things, it is never bullshit. Hopefully they understand that. All right, now I am done. LMM. Oh my god, I mean, I don't think I've ever read that one on the show, but uh, it's a pretty good, in a nutshell, of the drama. The drama. And yes, when we were standing in that circle on that last night, I don't remember what I said, but I did write a, a poem to them. Um... And I made a copy for all, however many of them, and gave it to them. And I kind of wonder if they still have it. Also, the weird thing is, guys, that as the bitch seat grows and more people start to listen to it, it becomes more and more likely that the people who I wrote about in these journals are, will get wind of <laughs> what I wrote about. So things are about to get interesting. So uh, without further ado, um, because I don't have any Philip here to distract me, sadly, um, our guest today is a writer, actor, performer, director, producer, all the things. Um, he has a film out called Third Street Blackout, and uh, you may have seen his face in the subway if you live in New York, which is pretty nuts because um, he's uh, he's gotten some commercial su success. Uh, but we have a pretty funny story about where we began. Oh, and one more thing before we start a little bit of business. If you are in New York uh, our last live show of the bitch seat at QED for a few months will be January 8th at 8 30 PM. So mark your calendars. There's going to be live body painting and a collage party. So, uh, get there. But now for some adolescent treasure show and tell, please welcome Jeremy Redleaf. So we see Jeremy sitting alone at a lunch table his hair is ruffled he's got a mead college ruled notebook in front of him he was chewing on his pen cap and it's got bite marks in it but he's scribbling as fast as he can and meanwhile the world just flies by him he's buried in his work hi jeremy hello was that an accurate representation You're so right <laughs> i fucking knew it. it i knew it i got you pegged well played mando thanks so, so Jeremy. Yeah. You want to tell the people how we met? Sure. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, so, as a uh, as a uh, uh, white liberal upper middle class kid, I was applying to colleges, and I one of the colleges I was uh, looking at was Northwestern University. It was actually my only um, non like I, I was applying to acting programs, and then I applied to Northwestern, which is not a conservatory. It's Correct. A, yeah. It's like they have a theater program, but it's like opt it's opt in, right? Well. They have a theater program, but it's uh, it's not a conservatory program. They encourage you to take well-rounded 
right. liberal education. And I remember, I remember them saying like they don't kick anybody out. You end up like choosing to leave if you like they they like push you out. Like oh uh, yeah, it's not a cutthroat <laughs> yeah. situation. So I went. So I went there and and uh, I visited with my mom and it's in wintry Chicago, and uh, and I uh, got a tour. Uh, from a from a sprightly young woman, and that woman <laughs> turned it out to turned it out turned out to be Alyssa. Yeah, and it was I, my freshman year, so uh, you were a prospy. That's what we call them in Northwestern, sure, sure. a prospective student. And did you stay at CRC in my dorm? No, but you, were you in the bad movie dorm? Was that your dorm? Yeah, because I got to sit. <laughs> yes, yes, I was in. It was a dorm full of um, film and journalism people. Um, very, yeah. very wonderful, nerdy people. To this day, I still dream of bad movie night or bad movie dorm. Like, yeah, it was bad movie night. I, I went back and told everybody about bad movie dorm. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I think you, you came to like represent everything I thought college was going to be. Oh, no. Like, you were like. That's bad. You were like, I had like a total crush on you. And you were <laughs> like, and it was like, when I go to college, I'm going to meet, meet and hang out with girls like Lissa. Oh, my God. That's amazing. No, I see. I that makes me feel better because I was in such a bad, bad place. Then yeah, I was where, like, "Where were you actually?" Because because to me, you were like rocking it. You had found all these cool people. You had fucking cool movies. Sorry, did I not let a curse? Oh, please, oh, curse cool. your head off. That's fucking how we do movie nights. And and uh, I thought you were you were really winning. Oh God, I was deeply, deeply embroiled in my eating disorder at that time. Mm. I was I was eating like a couple of green pepper slices and a yogurt during the day. And then at night I would eat like peanut butter out of the jar with my finger. It was a bad time. Um, and I did not want to be in Chicago. Northwestern was not my first choice of school. I wanted to stay. I wanted to go to Columbia so bad or Brown or Yale. And they all waitlisted to me and then rejected me. And I was like, what is the point of being a good student if I'm going to be whatever? So, um, and Chicago is cold and it's far away from New York. And I wanted to be in New York. Now, did you grow up in New York? I grew up just north of the city in, in Westchester and oh, Putnam County. Westchester. Mm. So are you are you there now? Where do you live now? I live in Brooklyn now. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. Well, I just made the move. I was a Manhattanite for many years. And then I, got, I had like a rent-stabilized thing and got kicked out of it. And oh, damn it. Moved to Brooklyn. How do you get kicked out of a rent-stabilized apartment? <laughs> it's actually very hard. <laughs> uh, we were, we were, you know, we were illegally subletting and, and the owners kind of messed up or the owners of the lease messed up and bought property and like, I figured you. it out. Oh, that's not, that's yeah. not fun. Grown up shit. I hate that. Um, no, but it was good. It was good while it lasted, but now we're in, we're in lovely Brooklyn. Excellent. And so you ended up going to school at NYU? Fordham Lincoln Center. Fordham. Yeah. Oh God. Because Northwestern Way listed me. <sighs> So I never got to go to meet, go to bad movie dorm and like. I'm so sorry. Seduce Lissa. No, it's funny. Like I, it's very sad to say, but that was the skinniest I've ever been in my life. And I've never had so many people have crushes on me. (laughs) It was the only time in my life when I had all these people who were crushing on me because usually it was the other way around. But, um. How did that feel for you? I mean. Must have been really a mind mind fuck. If it felt great. I mean, I didn't return the feelings for any of them, unfortunately, Mm. but, um. It it really enabled the eating disorder. Right. And that was right, not good. Right. But it, it that was pretty much gone by the end of freshman year. But um, I think it's so funny because I remember you so specifically in like when when you were, I guess, a junior or senior in I high school. We like kept in touch or something. We just yeah. keep in touch yeah. a little bit. You had this like big shock of red hair and your name was Red Leaf. And I was like, there was something inside of you that was so overconfident that I was a little... 
I was a little skeptical. I was like, <laughs> this dude is a blowhard. Like, what is the real deal? Totally Very, true. Because I wasn't confident at all. But um, I was like, I knew you were going to, I knew you were going to be successful. Oh, thanks. I, because you had just a, I won't take no for an answer kind of. I was quite driven. You're so, you're so much chiller now <laughs> than I remember you. I believe you. Yeah, I know. I grew up a little bit. Um, so um, let's go back in time. Let's do it. All right. Because that's the reason for the season. You grew up in Westchester. You had siblings or no well, siblings? See, I have to, I have to, okay. I have to preface that. I, I have told people for most of my life that I grew up in Westchester, but I actually grew up in Putnam County. So what is, is Putnam County? Putnam County is like the less cool county right, right north of Westchester. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I then, feel and you. no one famous is from except Dr. Ruth. And um, <laughs> <laughs> she grew up in my, she lived in my hometown. Uh, and Judge Judy too. Just Doctor Ruth and Judge Judy are are the celebrities of Putnam County. Those are very important celebrities. Totally. Um, that's funny because I grew up telling people that I was a New Yorker, and really, my parents were from Queens, but I was from Guilford, Connecticut. <laughs> so I was a liar. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So it's just shorthand. So I grew up. I went to school in Westchester, though, and I did theater in Westchester. So like, I spent time there, but I definitely didn't grow. I'm a, I'm a Putnam County boy. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And you were a happy kid for the most part. Ooh, what a loaded question. Okay, yeah, you can take it apart. You yeah. can take it apart. Uh, happy more than sad? What, well, aggregate happy? What? Like, I was a sad kid. Okay. I know I was a sad kid. Uh-huh. There were happy moments, for sure. sure. But, like, I had this constant gnawing feeling inside of me of, like, I needed to get better. I needed to get better. Were you, mm. like, a, a pretty... Did you live in the present of your childhood, or were you always just looking toward your adult life, your future? I was totally, I was always fascinated with like, um, prodigies and like, I know me too. And experiences where like people treated me more, more like an adult. Yeah, me uh, too. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't feel like, I, I felt like older people understood me more than people my age. Oh yeah. We're, we're speaking the same language yeah. here. And I, you know, like, and like what you wrote, I've definitely, I definitely wrote things like that. I had a very like huge, rich emotional life, deep, deep feelings yes. that I didn't like really share with the world. Yes. Except and like the, when I started to date girls, I would like write them poetry. and Which listen, all girls dream of that. So you did good. You <laughs> it did didn't good. work out at the time though. They didn't, for some reason, the poetry just didn't have the, it didn't, didn't, land. didn't land. It was they too early. Yeah. They weren't ready to hear it. Exactly. Um, mm. And were you, so did you do that a lot? Did you, uh, did you court women a lot? I did. I, I have a notebook from ca- summer camp where, uh, several counselors said, call me when you're 18. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> yeah. so and I was like, illegal. What, I, what was I doing that? Like, I think I would just like rub their arms and like, I was totally like a little flirty. Such kid. a theater kid. Such a theater and kid. like a flirty straight theater guy. Right. That's a rarity. Exactly. Yeah. Was it theater camp? Well, like, so that was, so that was the thing. So it was regular camp, but I always, in, in regular school, I was like, not, you know, not the most popular kid in the world, probably picked on a little bit. Really? Yeah. And then, but in, but at camp, I was the man. Yeah. And at theater camp, I was like the double man. Right. Um, so I had all these different identities. Um, and I put, I played sports and did theater. Um, in, in high school? In high school, yeah. How did you have time for that? I don't know. I was, uh, I was very driven. Was public school or private school? Public school. Yeah, good. Me too. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with private school. No, there isn't. But great people have gone. I thought about going to private school, and in the end, I was like, no, I would like to be one with the hoi polloi. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it makes you better. It makes you a better person. Um. All right. So it sounds like you didn't have a, too much of a tough time. I then. did. No, I totally did. Um. I mean, I didn't. I mean, you don't have I to. I mean, have. I never. Chris never raped me, or nor did I oh ever rape God. Chris. No, but, I. Uh, <laughs> 
I, it's so funny because that guy, um, I think he's living in Greece now, but he's a filmmaker. He turned out yes. to be a filmmaker too. Um, and I never told him about those feelings. Mm. So if there comes a point when he hears that, he's going to laugh. But <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a rough time. I think as all sensitive boys have a rough time in that like there's just no, uh, there were no models for like it's okay to feel things or it's okay to, to like things that are not traditionally masculine. Right. And, and so I felt, I felt out of place a lot. And there were friends, I had friends that only wanted to talk or play sports and I'd never really felt fully, um, fully comfortable in that situation. Yeah. So did you have like your, your theater friends and your sports friends and did they never the twain shall never meet. the twain shall yeah. meet those Venn diagrams did not, that did not overlap. <laughs> exactly. And throwing parties was always super anxiety yes. inducing. It's like, uh, are the, are the jocks going to talk to the, the theater yes, geeks? And yeah. this is why, I mean, this is why one of my favorite movies of all time has always been the breakfast club. Totally. Because it's this ideal of like a commune where everybody comes together and becomes emotionally naked in front of each other, you know, which is all I ever want in exactly. this world. Exactly. Um, but I had the one time my mom let me throw a party in my house was my sweet 16. My, my best friend Allison and I threw it together. And I remember having that fear because I happened to be sort of friendly with people from all kinds of various cliques. Mm but none of them were friends with each other. It was like, uh, I was a connector. Like Malcolm Gladwell talks about the connectors. You were a super connector before it was a thing. Exactly. So I had all these people over and some of them were from, some of them were stoners and some of them were a little more popular sporty people. And some of them were definitely like theater nerds. And I, they were all really kind people, but, um, the party was a success. Did anyone get emotionally naked? They were no, but mm. my dad did find a hash pipe on the front lawn the next <laughs> day. Which All was, right, someone got someone got emotionally naked. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also worth noting that my parents are both therapists, so oh, so that's like is, the other part yes. of this. So, okay, this is great. So my best friend, uh, one of my best friends, Nora, she's also a filmmaker. Mm. You'll have to meet her. She's a, a, fa- a fabulous Jewish lady with long curly hair. Both of her parents are therapists and she and I are currently developing a series called You Should See Someone about a woman who both of her parents are therapists. Yeah, I've tried to pitch shows along the line many times because when I tell that yeah. story in meetings, they're always like, oh, my God, you should write that. Yeah. And but every time I talk about it, people are like they're, that that's so unrealistic and like who like no one believes like that. that well, could happen. but it it's happened to me. I know. Well, it might not be for like the ABC family sure. uh, network. You might be going direct to streaming. Direct yeah, to it, might be a, stream. it might be a CISO <laughs> thing. Also fine with me. But um, so did you feel, was that a really present thought in your life when you were growing up? Did you say like when you were having emotional problems, did you approach your parents and ask them for help or did you avoid it? Did they try to therapize you mm. or did they avoid it? I think my mom, my mom was sort of the lead therapi- therapizer <laughs> yes. and she, I had definitely had a closer relationship with her than I think most boys do with their moms in terms mm-hmm. of like what they tell them. And, um, I feel like I could, I didn't feel like I, I feel like I could, t- could tell her anything cause like she would spend her days, you know, she'd be like, I spent today talking to a guy that, uh, you know, abused, abused his sister. So like, you know, you got a, a D on a paper or you like, you like stole your something. Aren't like, that bad. You're okay, kid. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> but that breaks your heart because it doesn't feel like that. I hate it when people minimize my pain. 
No, she wouldn't. So, she didn't minimize it. She just wasn't surprised. Like nothing could surprise her. I didn't feel like oh, I didn't I have see. that feeling of like she's gonna flip out and not know what to do and like my life is gonna be over. It's like she's oh, seen. Oh, like she's she's I've seen, seen everything. Worse, kid. Yeah. yeah, she's been around the block. So uh, I feel like I gave her good context for that stuff. Um, it didn't. I mean, you know, therapists are people and they're regular people too. And, I know. And uh, the, you know, there's like a, they develop the superpower that they turn on in a specific situation where they're like, where they have no other attachment to the person and they can just have a one-sided thing with them. Yeah. So it's all the more complicated when, when they're, they're your children. Yeah. Cause it's somebody that you actually are really attached to. So you can't detach from that. Exactly. But you always felt like home was a safe space. Totally. That's great. And were you an only child? Only child. Just me. Yeah. When I met you, I don't think I was surprised about that. <laughs> um, Do I, I, what's, what's the giveaway? I don't know. I don't know. You carried yourself with the confidence of somebody who had always gotten all the attention. It's so funny though. I like that was not my, exp- I didn't have a ton of confidence or I, I was overcome. Well, you, you sold yourself I really I, well. I think I sold myself well on this, in our one interaction. Well, I guess I did too. I think you mm. and I are both really good at marketing ourselves, Sure, but you know, really good at saying, yeah, I'm doing great. Right. On social I'm media. Too, I'm doing great. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jeremy, tell me about uh, this artifact that you brought, because yeah. this is different from the things that you had been talking about bringing. And this is right up my alley. I already love it. Yeah. So uh, this is called the one and only the I spell. I didn't want to spell out. Uh, and so it's the one N only. I don't know if that was like a thing of the day. Like NSYNC. Like, right. Oh, uh, Kent is going to take some pictures if you want to. Uh, Fantastic. Hold it up. So it's got uh, it's got some uh, uh, on the cover. <laughs> Looks like two paint snakes. Two paint snakes with some glitter in the paint snakes. Um, and then a picture of, I think, Jenny McCarthy. Uh, staring. Oh, was, she, was she your, was that your bae? <laughs> I think we're about to find out that, that she was one of my bays. Uh, <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So wait, was this a project for school? Or? Yes. So 1996, and, just so we can, can, uh, so you were it. in fourth or fifth. All right. So that's, uh, uh, 24, I'm like nine, like nine years old. Okay. Yeah. So third or fourth grade. Yeah. So we have a beautiful construction paper book that is bound with two metal rings. All the pages are different colors. <laughs> yeah, it, starts, it starts with a dedication, which I never thought that anyone would read, but clearly now I, I it did. It will be you reading it. Because it says, I dedicate my autobiographical booklet to my mom and dad for bringing me into this world and anybody else that enjoys what, what lies ahead. Oh my just, God, <laughs> we were the same person. <laughs> I, just, I always knew there was a possibility that one day I would read this, show this on a podcast. So I just want to make sure that everybody felt like they were, it was dedicated to them. Yeah. I mean, don't, I don't want anybody to feel left out. You no. know, if you're inspired by what I have to say, then all the better. Yeah. Okay. I'm speaking directly to you. Oh, uh, so here we have, I remember this font. This is like <laughs> uh, Apple two GS word processor. Totally. We've got a table of contents because uh, that, that was probably part of the, like the assignment. Like I wouldn't have done so that. So it was an own. autobiography assignment. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Okay. So the next one is if I were in charge of the world, uh, what would you have done? Yeah. If I were in charge of the world, Pamela Anderson would be married to me instead of Tommy Lee. <laughs> I would be as rich as Bill Gates, but I wouldn't be, but I wouldn't be a genius. Why not? And I would be good looking. Everybody would live in never, never land. So they would never grow old. There would be no war and no one would be hungry. I would cancel all poor TV shows and star in all the good ones. If I were in charge yeah. of the world, I could stop and speed up time, and all the poems in the world wouldn't have to rhyme. 
Yet I only wish that I were in charge of the world. I bet everybody had to re- write one of those, huh? Oh my gosh! So why Pamela Anderson? This is—you were young, I think, to be into somebody who I was. I think this was Baywatch time. I think this oh, was like. Gotcha. Yeah. But. And I like—I think I saw my dad's Playboy for the first time around this age, and she must have. Maybe she was in it. And were you and your dad close? Do you have a good relationship? Um, we have a yeah, we have like a very uh, we have a good relationship. It's like uh, you know, I don't know. Father sons are weird. Sometimes. I know, and I think it is a little bit yeah. awkward. It's a little bit awkward. Yeah, um, um, because she is such a such a sex icon, and so like I had crushes on celebrities too, but it wasn't because they were giving me a boner. It was because I thought they were cute, and I wanted to make out with them. You <laughs> totally. know, like Emilio Estevez. Totally. Oh, who wouldn't? <laughs> Muddy ducks. Um, I, I think so. I think it's that uh, like my parents. I think because they were therapists, really just wanted to let me like figure things out myself. Mm-hmm. Like they started letting me come to the city by myself when I was 12. That's um, amazing. Right You're now so sounds, lucky. I know. Yeah. And, and I would just like go see shows and like, I had this like, as a 12 year old. Yeah. This, you weren't like, getting in trouble. You were just doing uh, just going, good, clean fun. <laughs> exactly. Going uh, to TKTS. So, so like, I just like, you know, I don't think my dad like ever had a sex talk with me, but I think that's probably cause he was like, I'm going to let him have, he's like, going to figure it he's out. He's going to find own. a playboy and figure it all out for himself. And you did. And I guess And I then did. Pamela Anderson. That's so funny. I would have loved to be your teacher reading this project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, she didn't. Does she show up? Does Pamela show up later as well? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. All right. Let's keep going with this. Oh, man. I know this is, we'll skip this. Um, okay, okay. Here's a, here's a. <laughs> Here we have a lovely collage of Pamela Anderson. This is Wait, a, who? Oh, this is this? great. This is the, this is the best. So my teacher did write some notes on this. So I, I have, this is a family tree with photos of, of people that, uh, I want to meet my family. Oh, so. wait, it's a family tree, not of your actual family, but of the people that you wanted to be in your family, <laughs> your fantasy family. Yeah. What did your real family think of this? <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? She probably, yeah, they probably brought it into their therapy sessions. Um, oh, my God. So Pamela's once again my wife. And then my teacher wrote, she might not look as good when you're ready to be married. <laughs> <laughs> So clearly she was like, clearly she had some thoughts about, about this, uh, this idea of mine. And here you are, you have, you included yourself in this family tree, but Jeremy Redleaf is depicted as, um, Brad Pitt. (laughs) And my son is also depicted as Brad Pitt. As Brad Pitt. Pitt, And his name is Brad Redleaf, naturally. (laughs) Oh my God. But you have to name your firstborn Brad. Are you going to do it? Uh, yes. I mean. (laughs) Oh my goodness. What a, like, how was, I was such a superficial little, I even have a listing of a house I want to live in in Greenwich, Connecticut. Oh no. 11 rooms, 4.5, <laughs> six baths, an indoor pool, gym, sauna, and curved decks in a prestigious location. Um, wow. I was such a little, like. You were a climber. You were a, a social, social climber. climber. <laughs> yep. Even in fourth grade. Okay. Guests of honor. What, these are guests of honor for what? A dinner party, I think. A dinner party that, that you were throwing. So you got to choose 10 guests of honor to come. So who were the guests of honor that yeah. came to your dinner party? So we got Martin Luther King Jr., sure. Natural, Bring it back from the natural, dead. Natural yeah. uh, uh, choice. James Earl Jones. I think I loved him on the, the, the Bell Atlantic 9X Mobile commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in Field of Dreams. That was, that's probably what it was. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Ewing. Pamela Anderson, once again, coming to dinner. She, well, I hope so. She's your wife. Sure. Uh, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, H- Henrik Kinsler, my, gra- my dead grandfather, Gilbert Redleaf, my dead grandfather, Santa Claus, <laughs> and Wilt Chamberlain. 
That is a dinner. Can you imagine that? Oh, my God. You should write a sketch in which those are the people around the dinner table. Totally. Yes. Oh, man. They're all like, yeah, I don't feel like they, I feel like they would all be like fighting to, to talk. Not a lot of like team players. A lot of like, you know. Well, but a lot, I'll be in a lot of baseball players. Yeah, but I mean, I just feel like not a, not a good, not a lot of good question askers. A lot of good question, like, yeah, have I, I mean, got a story for you? Martin Luther King Jr. would want to be expounding upon something important and uh, others might not. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Santa Claus, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I just did a roast of Santa Claus at the Magnet, actually, um, as, a, as a penguin. But that's neither here nor there. Um, that's pretty much there. Go on. There are lots of ways to roast Santa Claus. Everybody was making fat jokes and pedophile jokes. That was oh. like the whole. Poor Chris Kringle. He's got so much more to roast if he know him well. You know what? But people who get roasted, it's because they're, they're loved. Roastable. Right? Have you ever been roasted? No, what I'm going to be. Phil and I are going to be roasted before we leave for LA the at the pit. Yeah. And I mean, my friend Christine is putting it together and she reached out. And was like, I know you don't really like roasts because I, I can't, I don't know. I can't really take it. I don't dish it out and I can't really take it. And um, she was like, it can be a roast toast. And I was like, okay, great. So <laughs> I'm get roasted and toasted. Do you feel like you have to prepare in any way, like emotionally for this? I mean, I'm going to have to prepare rebuttals. Um, <laughs> There's no time for rebuttals at a, at a roast. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, peop- the, the roasted get to rebut at the end. Like really? everybody gives their shit and then the last people to, to speak are the is the, is the person being roasted? So Phil and I are being roasted together, Got it. Um, because we're we we know all these pit people. But anyway, this is totally off topic, right. guys. Um, so here we are on what is this? A letter looks like. Yeah, this is a letter to Alpo Pet Foods. Why? Uh, I think we had to. Run, so I think our, my my teacher was really into like consumer advocacy. <laughs> 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 so we all we all had to. She was like, I think she was the kind of person that would like complain and get like a free sofa. Oh, totally. Well, we had that in fifth grade. I think we had to write either um, a letter of complaint or a letter complimenting. A yeah, company. this is totally what this is. But I, I again, because I don't like to be a nasty person, I wrote a letter of complimenting and I got nothing. And the people who complained got like entire boxes of gum and stuff. <laughs> so goes to show you always yes. go negative. Yeah, I know. Uh, all right, I wrote to Alpo Pet Foods. Uh, uh, hello, Mr. Anushko. Uh, I'm writing on behalf of my cat, Sasha. She loves your captain's table canned food. It's one of the only kinds of cat food she eats. Sasha once told me that she loves your food <laughs> and has a, a major crush on Garfield. Don't tell him. Um, I'm, I'm really charm, I'm not trying to charm this yeah, guy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> By the way, when did you take him off the can? Sasha will be heartbroken forever. Ooh, I really turned uh, hit a... Turned a yeah. corner there. Yeah, Mr. Anushko. Better rethink that. <laughs> yeah, so I think I was like really mad and just trying to trying to passive aggressively uh let him know so he wrote back he did or no he didn't write back chris capellio wrote back and he said dear mr redleaf thank you for taking the time to to write to us about alpo canned cat food uh we appreciate your kind and thoughtful comments and then he and then there's like a paragraph about which is clearly just a stock answer right we value as a customer and trust that we'll continue to merit your confidence and loyalty Clearly didn't realize that a kid was writing this. Didn't he didn't even address the Garfield no. question. So I had to write back. <laughs> Dear Mr. Capiello, on March 28th, 1996, I wrote you a letter compla- uh, complimenting your pet food and kind of complaining. Yeah. I waited by the mailbox patiently for three weeks and it finally came on April 12th, 1996. You, Mr. Capiello, senior consumer correspondent, answered my letter. It was very insincere. Oh my God. 
and answered none of my questions. <laughs> I wrote to you because my family and I value your cat food. I put a lot of time into writing my letter, and I wish you would do the same. The next time I go food shopping, this will influence my discretion when I go down the cat food aisle. Wow, this will influence my discretion. Excuse me. A very unhappy customer, Jeremy Redleaf. P.S. Encloses a copy of the letter I wrote you and the letter you wrote to me. And did he write back again? And then he wrote back again. This is an amazing saga. April 24th, 1996. Dear Mr. Redleaf, thank you for writing to us about Alpocan cat food. We welcome questions and comments from our consumers regarding our products. This product is a recent addition to the Frisky's Pet Care family. Frisky's Pet Care believes in building brands through good product quality, not through celebrity endorsements like Garfield. Since all of our cats currently used in our commercials and on our packaging are real cats, we no longer use Garfield because he is a cartoon cat. (laughs) We appreciate your interest in our product. Chris Capiello. Wow. That That brought me back. I was... I can't believe he continued to engage with you. That's so great. And did you understand <laughs> at that point? Or are you still like, this is bullshit. I should I, always be Garfield. I probably felt that way, but I think I respected that he actually like, like, like acknowledged what I wrote. And, uh, and he, um, uh, yeah, he you just know, like, he really, he really, uh, took the time. And you're I, a very well-spoken kid. Thanks. I, I would have loved to have been there though when he got the letter from that letter from me. Like, well, this, look at this kid. I know. He probably passed it around the whole office. <laughs> Joe, Joe, you want to take this one? <laughs> this kid is giving me a harder time than my boss gives me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, it, and all these things are typed, you know, good old-fashioned correspondence. Oh, oh that Got is... some collages. Yes, beautiful and... collages. What do we have here? Oh, man. An English oh, Okay, okay. Uh, so assignment. this is... It was called the, My One and Only, and this is, I think, why it's called My One and Only. Um, most of the people I know dislike their brother and sister, yet I myself sometimes wonder if it would be cool to have a brother or sister. Oh. Sometimes I just enjoy being the one and only. I just love being the center of attention of my parents. <laughs> totally <laughs> called it. You don't have to sh- uh, share anything. You don't have to worry about private things getting out at school. You're able to go where you want to, not where your brother or sister wants to. Sometimes it gets lonely, and I wish I could have a brother or sister to play sports with me. If he was 17, he could drive me around with him. I could also threaten people by saying, hey, back off. My brother is 20. Oh, you needed a protector. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool. Yeah, clearly I didn't have a great childhood. It would also be cool to have an older sister. She could give me tips on how to act with girls. She could tell me what girls uh, like in boys. She could tell me how to court uh, an uh, a, a orientation person at Northwestern. Um, I would have <laughs> older bro- <laughs> And then uh, I would love to have an older brother or sister, but uh, best of all, I just like being the one and only. Wow, a lot oh, of, so uh, that's so that was the title track. Exactly, I got you, exactly of the whole book. Um, I think uh, that's been that's still like the saga of my life. Like I don't like I like to be around people, and I don't I don't like being the one and only. Well, but it's kind of still always fun to get the attention, but not not at the expense of um, like having a community around you. I mean. That's why I bounce back and forth between improv and stand-up because sometimes I don't want to share the stage and sometimes I really do. Sure, but that's all. That's like perform. Like that's like work-wise. I think. Sure. In in life, I uh, I feel like uh, I don't know. Like now that I see how siblings can be as adults and like actually like my like my wife and it and her brother just like help each other love out, love each other, help yep. each other out, like tell jokes and shit, and have like just have 
30 years of inside jokes and that sounds awesome. Yeah. But you don't get that, you know, you don't, you don't see that as a kid. That's true. And now you're going to be the one to take care of your parents, etc. Yeah. And because I always wanted to be around people, like I had to have imaginary friends or like seek out like play dates. I think Did I still, you have, I think do you I remember do imaginary friends that you had? I didn't have any, I, none of that I remember. Locked them all out. Oh, that's all right. I think I got AOL at like a really young age. So I had all these like really intense internet relationships. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. Do you remember your screen, your first screen name? I do, because I still have the email address. What is it? As like a junk, junk mail. Please send me junk mail at jrbig1 at aol.com. Oh my God. Whoa. I remember that <laughs> from college when yeah, we must have. that was like my instant messenger name. Yeah. jrbig1. Not because uh, because yeah. I love the the musical Big. I was a big fan uh-huh. and the movie. I just that 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 movie and musical spoke to me. My first my initials are Jr. and I didn't and Jr. Big was taken, so I just like naturally selected <laughs> Jr. Big one, and then did not realize that there was a <laughs> oh another my, how meeting. many yeah how many people in chat rooms do you think you were talking oh, to who were like creepy old dudes? <laughs> many actually uh. for, for a fact I know that many like old theater dudes were like hey Jr. Big one oh yeah, there's a thing yeah but the attention is nice sure I had a lot of conversations I shouldn't have had in AOL chat rooms what was your screen name? Uh, Blue Moon 422 without the E. B L U M O O N. I remember, remember this. Yeah. yeah. I had wow. it since seventh grade. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Um, well, I was, I was really fascinated by the idea of talking to people and I d- it didn't dawn on me that it would be dangerous, but there was one guy I was talking to because, all right, here's the thing. And I think that I've said this on this podcast before, but like, even before, I was a very sexual being. I kind of knew how to press buttons. And Mm. so I would get in way over my head with, um, with like cyber stuff. And I was like a, I was like a call girl, like voluntarily when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Cause I was like, I liked having the control. I liked having the power. I liked getting positive attention from men who Mm. I would never meet. But one of these guys who I was talking to, I gave, my phone number, like my house phone number. And he called like on a Saturday morning and one of my parents picked up and we're like, what the fuck is going on? Oh man. Yeah. Cause I never intended to see any of them, but did you like, did you have a persona or did you like say you were 14 and. Um, I don't think I ever mentioned my age, but gosh, I don't remember. I don't think I ever lied about describing myself, but I don't think I ever mentioned my age. Fascinating. I think we're, I mean, we're the generation that grew up having those experiences first. I know. And I, I, I talk about this a lot more than, than Phil likes to, but I, <laughs> that whole, I'm obsessed with the idea of us being the generation that really straddles the analog and the digital. Right. Um, I still called, I still called girls. Oh but then yeah. We would also talk online. Exactly. And the online thing, I mean, it took me a while to get used to emails cause I thought it was so impersonal and, um, and kind of cold and my penmanship wasn't there and I couldn't decorate the envelope. You know right, what I right, mean? Sure. So I was like, I'm never going to do this on the reg. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Mm, here we are. Here we are. Well, Jeremy, are there any other um, items in this book that you super oh, want to get to before oh no. we, Oh my gosh, there is so much in here. <laughs> this is incredible. Um, this is a treasure trove. It is uh, a treasure trove. Oh, I have an what, obituary. <laughs> an obituary for yourself? <laughs> for myself, yeah. Oh, you have to read that. Uh, I think that's probably, yeah. Okay, yeah, there's some stuff in here. Okay, um, Redleaf, Jer- comma, Jeremy, because in the obituary they do it by last name. 
1984 to 2150. That's a pretty good run, Jeremy. (laughs) Gotta say. Um, uh, He seemed to have the life. Jeremy graduated from Oxford and then went to UNC for graduate school to pursue sports. He was a pro basketball and soccer player and a pro actor. Mr. Redleaf was walking and chewing gum at the same time, (laughs) slipped on a banana peel and choked on his gum. (laughs) He he is survived by his wife, Pamela, obviously. <laughs> Daughters Mariah, uh, Carrie, Leisha, and Yasmin, uh, and his son Leaf. Brad, and his son Brad Redleaf. Uh, he was quoted in his eulogy as the richest, hottest, smartest, and oldest man in the world. One hundred and sixty-six. Wow! And and your final moment—you were taken down by a banana peel after living one hundred and sixty-six years, and being the richest, hottest, smartest person, and but, yet, but yet. The universe, when it's ready to take you. Has a way of just knocking everybody down. That's right. Wow, that's really morbid. I wonder if that teacher made everybody write an obituary. Yeah, she was like, she was intense. It looks like. She was like a real real, uh, full circle curriculum. Yeah, this project (laughs) is is covering all the bases. Man, I think that's the, I think that's the one. Yep, sweet. I loved it. We have some pictures in here. These are great. I'll post some of these online for you guys. Um... Well, Jeremy, I uh, like to conclude every show by giving my guest a gift. Um, This gift is something from my childhood bedroom, usually some piece of ephemera that would otherwise go in the garbage. So, um, but I'm giving it a new life by giving it to you. So for you, I have super random. It's a tiny figurine of Donald Duck. I don't know why it just spoke to me when I thought of you. Cause like I have a lot of tiny little animal creatures. I collected (laughs) tiny little animal creatures and just kind of lined them up and collected them. This Donald Duck is a performer. He's got the orange, which kind of goes with your hair color. And, uh, you know. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I don't know. You can keep him in your pocket. He can be uh, some good luck. I've got like a little ledge of things in my office, so I'll put him there. There he goes. Yeah. And hopefully he can, uh, yeah. So do you want to do you want to plug anything before we go? Sure, yeah. So Third Street Blackout is on, on demand right now. All the places you buy and rent movies. Uh, Congratulations. You can get it. Thanks. Some Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Voodoo, all those things. And also the cable companies. If you're in New York City on January 15th, I'm throwing an event called Cave Day. Uh, a bunch of people Ooh. are going to get together on a Sunday and just get stuff done without distractions. We're going to be leading sprints throughout the day and providing food and snacks and sprints, sp- sprint like sprints of work. Like so, like oh, we're going to work for okay. 40 minutes without, you know, with no distractions. Go, and um, and then we're going to. If you get stuck, we'll we'll be there to help support. So where can people find information about that? Caveday.org. Wow, you made a whole website for yeah. it? That's the day that we drive. Oh. I'm so bummed. Well, if you get delayed, you can come write your, uh, your we need to, you need to see somebody's script. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. I'll definitely loop you in. Because people uh, find it's just hard to find time to like work on the thing you really want to work on, you know, for a long period of time. So oh, absolutely. I think. create a group experience where it's like the norm is to, is to grind for a whole day on something that you care about. That's amazing. Caveday.org. I think that. A lot of my friends will be really into that. And also, if you're somebody listening from outside of New York, I encourage you to make your own cave day because yeah. uh, artists need to remember that not everything is for the hustle. Some things are for your own creative enjoyment. Investing in your future. That's right. And we'll come do a cave day in your city. Just let me know. Oh, are you going to do that? Yeah. Yes, you should we're tour gonna, We're going to do it in L.A. We're going to do it in L.A., yeah. Tell me when you're doing it in L.A. Yeah, and I'll sure. shout it out. Yes. Amazing. 
Um, well, guys, uh, Jeremy Redleaf, uh, check out all of his items. Like he is all over the place on the internet. I think I saw that you were in Variety or um, other like big whatever. He's a big deal now. Fine. Um, and uh, yeah, January eighth, come to QED at eight thirty for the final bitch seat uh, for a little while. We'll be back in April probably. And um, we have one coming up in LA at uh, Nerd Melt at Meltdown Comics in March. And uh, there you have it, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Festivus. Year. I love Festivus. Kwanzaa. Do you have any grievances you want to air right now? That'll be enough. This whole podcast is grievances. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Remember, treasure what got you here. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. They scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque, burlesque. burlesque club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.